come to the Lord today. Jesus, we, uh, we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the invisible world. We believe that we've asked you to open our eyes of our hearts. When you do that, something supernatural happens, and you begin to break the ice in our hearts. You begin to split the rocks in our hearts, um, not just for this morning to hear your word, but so we can be people who hear you all the time. That's the kind of people we want to be. But specifically, we're asking you this morning, God, to give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you want to say to us so we can become the kind of people you made us to be, full of the life and love overflowing that, you, that comes from you alone. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, if you were to ask this question to fill in the blank, I am terrified by... What would, how, how, just somebody, what would, you, how would you, what would you say? You're terrified by what? Spiders. What else? What's that? Taxidermied animals. Okay. Snakes. Amen. What else? Sharks. Going to Florida for spring break? No, sorry. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we would say we're terrified by. I was looking at different... You know, top list of what, you know, public speaking terrifies people, snakes, spiders, heights, uh, terrified by the fear of being buried underground. I saw one list. The number two thing was, (laughs) things that terrified them was listening to Justin Bieber music. So anyway, there's all kinds of things that terrify us. And that's a strong word. And I'm going to tell you a story about when I was terrified one time. That's part of what we're going to look at the scripture today, but... I was cleaning our garage one time, and uh, there was a bunch of a, a bunch of rags or towels that were on behind one of the trash cans that I, I don't know, I didn't want to just let it sit there. So I pick it up, and r- I see right away this coiled snake underneath it. I hate snakes, <laughs> with a passion, um, and so w- you could probably imagine how I reacted. I wasn't like, oh, hi, hi. You know, it was like. <laughs> And I read about this. I mean, there's things like, I don't even, there's the thalamus and the amygdala and the hypothalamus. All these brain things start happening. (laughs) Adrenaline starts. Your heart starts. And I found the nearest thing, and I went postal on that snake. Because I was like, I would like to say it was that long, but it was maybe this long, you know. And I just went, because I, I, when we're terrified, we're terrified because something may threaten us. We're concerned about our safety. Those are the kind of things that terrify, whether it's a spider or heights or taxidermied animals or clowns. That's another fear people listed that terrifies them. Anything that ter- the, the response of being terrified and all the physiological, psychological stuff that happens and your adrenaline flows and you're sweating and you're, and I was yelling, ah! you know, I was just, I was my whole, I was on total on alert. Killed the snake. No, this did really. No. Threw it down in our creek, and I went inside, and I and I said to my wife, "Did you hear that?" And did you? She said, "What?" I was like, "You didn't hear me in the garage." She goes, "No, I didn't hear anything." So I had to rehearse, but I, I'm still kind of because when you're terrified of something, which I am of snakes, as well as other things. When we're terrified, it gets a response, and our, our bodies get on high alert because we feel threatened. I, I mean, 
the snake, I, from what I found out later from, we have a neighbor who's a high school junior. I tell him now to get rid of our snakes when we see him. I'm the, I do the manly thing, and I ask a 17-year-old to do it for me. He got rid of one a couple months ago. But it's because of the fear that something's threatening my security, threatening my way of life, so to speak. I mean, that's why, we get, that's why we're terrified by those things. Nobody, I'm guessing, would fill the blank in with this, which is part of our text today. I'm terrified by Jesus. Because in what happens in the text today we're going to read, Jesus does something and his disciples are terrified at, at what he does. Not at what he does, they're terrified at him. And there's another story, we look, we're looking at two different stories where the people who saw Jesus do something are terrified. Is that right? Should we be terrified of Jesus? What, what does that mean? Let's, let's look at that. And so we're going to look at that passage today. So I've been doing a series called Seeing Jesus. And we've been trying to figure out how to, what, what is Jesus really like? Because we tend to buy into, or we can buy into, the, the Jesus of, you know, that Jesus went on the countryside reading poetry and sipping wine and telling people to love each other. That's all they told them. Well, if, if you've been here the last few weeks, the Gospel of Mark is anything but that. Um, there's controversy. The religious establishment decides they want to kill him. He's con confrontational. He deals with demons. He deals with healing people. I mean, there's all kinds of, it's anything but soft harp music in the background. If anything, it's like this timpani drum is the back soundtrack. Bum, 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 bum. That's Jesus. Jesus is not simply soft, loving, kind Jesus. Vegetarian Jesus. I mean, that's Gandhi. That's not Jesus. Jesus was confrontational, controversial, explosive, fierce, focused, powerful, truthful, blunt, disruptive, courageous, playful, sensitive, compassionate, brilliant, wildly free, absolutely holy, Full of truth, full of mercy. He was misunderstood. He was rejected and betrayed. He was mocked. He was tortured. He was crucified. This guy is an incredible guy. We believe he's God, but he was an incredible, and he caused all kinds of disturbance to status quo. So let's just jump in. A couple passages we're going to look at today from Mark chapter 4, and we'll just jump right in. This is when, and this actually relates to a, a song we've sung before at Exodus, but I'll just read the passage. As evening came, this is Mark chapter 4, verse 35, where Jesus calms the storm. As evening came, Jesus says to his disciples, let's cross the other side of the lake. All right, there was the Sea of Galilee, also called a lake. And it's a, it's a sea, I mean, you can see across it way, 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 way across it. But it's kind of like, think about like the Great Lakes. It's a big body of water. It's not like Lake Monroe. It's a big body of water. And it's long and it's big, and that's where, up in the northern part of Israel, that's where Jesus grew up, that's where the disciples were that he called, and that's where he started his ministry. So Jesus said, let's cross the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon, a fierce storm came up. High winds, high waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. That nature of the area there is there could be fierce storms come out of nowhere sometimes uh, on this large body of water. And a lot of these disciples, remember, were fishermen. So this was not unknown to them. They knew this could be what happened. They probably had seasoned those kind of storms before. So this one apparently was 
more fierce and more severe than most of them had experienced, because this is what we read next. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. So imagine the movie, The Perfect Storm, and everything happening, and here's Jesus in the back of the boat sleeping. And imagine you're one of the disciples, and you're freaking out. You're afraid for your life. It says the disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? I mean, you kind of wonder, were they like, okay, Peter, you go wake him. No, you wake him up. No, well, somebody's got to wake him up. So they go, hey, teacher, we're going to drown. Do you care? Maybe you can relate to that emotion. Jesus, this is going to kill me if I have to do this. This situation is going to kill me financially. This relational thing is killing me. Don't you care? We can all relate to that. If you were in that boat, you don't, you don't have to be in the boat to know that the, the desperation of, don't you care, Jesus? Do you even know what's going on in my life? This is, this is happening, and that's happening, and I'm feeling turbulence all over the place. Don't you care? I, I can imagine we've all said that to some point, Jesus, and maybe even a, maybe not shouting ver- out loud, but at least in your spirit, it's like, don't you care? Wake up. And Jesus says he woke up, and it simply said he rebuked the wind. And rebuke is kind of this stern kind of. Rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Kind of another way you could say, be muzzled, stop it. It's the same kind of words and tone he used even when he was silencing a demon in somebody. But it's, a, it's, a, it's an authoritative statement he's not he's not putting on his god voice silence be still he just speaks with authority because he has it he has authority over the natural world so he simply says silence be still suddenly the wind stopped i mean suddenly and that word in the, in the greek means suddenly like right away the wind stopped and there was a great calm then he asked them this is kind of like uh, it's one of those questions jesus asked us like well do you have to ask the question? They, he asked them, why are you afraid? And they're probably thinking, well, you know, we were, we were going to die, Jesus. I mean, maybe he didn't. And he says, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And another verse, other verse that will say, you have little faith. And it was, it was a term of kind of you little faith people. Do you, still not, do you still not get it? And Jesus wasn't saying that in a condescending way to try to make them feel bad or guilty. But he was saying, you know, in the midst of all the anxiety and the turbulence and frustration and unknown of your life. He's not upset that we cry out to him. He's not. He's not. He's not impatient. Oh, but, you but he looks. He looks at a square in the eye and says, do you do you still not understand? I, I can speak to the waves and the wind. I can stop anything. And then our response is, well, why don't you? But and often Jesus would say to the disciples, you have little faith kind of in a stern tone but he's not like embarrassing them he's just saying you guys don't get it and then it said that then it said the disciples were absolutely terrified and the word terrified there this is literally how it's how it's written in the original language the the word for fear is phobos like phobia it literally says they were phobos of mega phobos they were afraid of mega fear they were terrified they weren't just afraid, they were mega afraid. 
so and they weren't afraid of the storm. They were afraid of the storm initially. They were just Phobos of the storm. Now they're mega because. And they say to each other, who is this guy? Because at that point, they'd seen him cast out demons. They'd seen him heal people. This was a whole other level of power and authority. They didn't understand that this guy had. I mean, they're terrified. I mean, they're terrified of Jesus. Their hypothalamus and all those things are putting off things. Their adrenaline, their heart's racing. Yeah, it was from the storm, but now there's a different reaction. They're like, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? Here's a, here's a point from this part of the passage. Jesus will reveal himself to you in times of intense desperation, turbulence, fear, and distress. And you might say, well, can't he reveal himself to me in the comfort of my own home with the air conditioning on and television and a bowl of popcorn? I mean, why can't he just show himself then? But it seems as if from this story, as well as life experiences, other stories throughout the Bible, God reveals himself significantly and powerful when we are in our most distressful, turbulent times. And we kind of cry out to God and say, why, why do I have to go through that in order to know you're powerful? Why do I have to go through turbulent fear, distress, and desperation? And it makes us perhaps reinterpret what that those kind of things are in our lives. I'm not saying you go invite des desperation in your life. I'm not saying go create turbulence in your life so God will show himself. You don't have to. If you're a human being, you will have those things in your life. You will have anxieties and turbulence, financial, relational, all kinds of things. You'll have those things. You, you don't have to go create them. You'll have them. But what this passage is saying, even in the midst of those, Jesus is still there and he's still powerful. And often, if maybe not always, his power is most often experienced by us in those times. So if you're in one of those times now, which I'm sure all of us are in some degree, big turbulence, little turbulence, whatever, it's okay to shout to Jesus and say, what are you doing where I'm going to drown in this? But let him show himself to you. Don't He hasn't left you. And the disciples were left thinking, who, they still did and we don't, if the disciples had already been with him for a number of months at least, and they still, still didn't get it. And so as you go through those times, and you know, when I've had times of anxiety or intense turbulence about something, I don't know why, but sometimes the last thing in my mind is Jesus. I assume he must have left the room. Because if he was in the room, wouldn't this turbulence go away? But somehow... We need to understand and grow in our understanding. No, in the midst of all that, he's right here. You're never alone. I don't know. I don't care what you're going through. You are not alone. I don't care what you're going through. Jesus has not checked out. He's not still asleep. You can wake him up. He listens when we call out to him. So I don't know what your situation is. I know my situation at times, and I know there's times where I tend to think, but would the Holy Spirit remind us that Jesus is right here with us and maybe we see him more clearly in those times. And maybe it's those times that we learn more about the, desper the strength of desperation that we have. Maybe sometimes those are the best times for us to grow. Maybe those days, this may sound odd, maybe those days are the best days of our lives. Like, 
I mean, did, I wonder if the disciples ever look back. Remember that time in the boat when he did this stop? Maybe years down the road, they probably said, that was, a, that was an incredible day for us. That was one of the best days of our lives. At the time, you don't say that. Nobody says at the time. They're like, wow, just kind of glad to get out of this boat. Next, next story. Just the second of two stories. This is just right into the next chapter, chapter 5. So the story we just read, Jesus has authority over storms, turbulence, and things like that. Chapter 5, verse 1. So they arrived the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. So they're on the other side of the lake, Sea of Galilee. They're now in Gentile territory. They're no longer in the Jewish world territory. They're with the Gentiles and the pagans and those who didn't un understand or honor God. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery to meet him. This man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put in chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Now, the word in the Bible for this kind of activity is really more, it's not so much demon-possessed as it is demonized, demon-harassed. Um, yes, demons can have control. Of and this, this is definitely weird meter stuff here. Like, oh, really? Come on. I thought they went out with, you know, the Renaissance. The, we don't believe in that stuff anymore. Yeah, we do believe in it because the Bible tells us there's an enemy to our souls that is always trying to trip us up and cause destruction. The Bible says Satan is all about destruction and distortion of the image of God in you and me. That's what he wants to do. He's active in that. And, he, and we don't know the story of this man up to this point, but it wasn't like just all of a sudden, zappo, he had a demon. There was probably ways in which he let the door open, let the door open, started believing things, that lies that Satan was whispering in his ear. We don't know. Probably opening us up to things that were not of God. But he's in a really, 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 really bad place. Running around naked, cutting himself, basically living, living at best of, or less than an animal. And yeah, we believe those things happen. We believe in the invisible world. We believe that God is real, his Holy Spirit is real, and his angels are real. But we also believe in the power of Satan and the power of demons. Even in those days, the... The, the people at the time, the leaders at the time, the, the marks of, if, if you were demon harassed, these were the marks of being demon This is how they understood it. If you, walked, if you walked around at night, if you spent the night sleeping on a grave, if you tore your clothes or you destroyed things you were given, those are the four things they thought there was a, something's wrong there. There was a wrong kind of behavior with those things. So then this is what happens. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. The question I like to ask in this passage is, okay, if this man is being harassed and to some degree controlled by a demon, wouldn't a demon, if Jesus was there, wouldn't a demon take the man that way and not this way? I mean, Jesus is there. If I'm a demon, I'm getting the you know, blank out of there. But which is true of any kind of demon harassment, you, you still have human capability. You still have free will. And I'm guessing that something in that man still knew in a desperate kind of way, 
this may be my only hope. So something in that man, maybe even opposed to the harassment he was experiencing, ran to Jesus, fell on his feet, and bowed low before him. And then with a shriek, the Bible says, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? So there's like this weird kind of, what's going on now? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. So now it's like, is that the voice of the man? Is it the voice of a demon harassing him? It's a little bit of both. We don't know exactly how all that works. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. So this man had a legion, a bunch, debating on what a legion meant, but it's a lot. A bunch of satanic, demonic harassment in his life. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. Uh, other versions call it the abyss. So Jesus had the authority to kind of. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. Which raises the question, like what? Why is Jesus giving them permission? It's, but yes, we live in a world at war where Satan is defeated, but still present to harass. And Jesus knew that. Jesus had the power to banish them, but he sends them into the pigs. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. Again, weird meter stuff. But if you were there, you may imagine, like, what, what just happened? The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. <laughs> what, like, what were they saying? I saw a guy throw demons into pigs. My pigs are all, I mean, people are like, what are you talking about? A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed, perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. It's interesting. This guy was insane, cutting himself, running around naked, living in the tombs. And I'm sure they just stayed away from him. Now he's in his right mind. He's a sane. He's clothed. And they are terrified. Not of this man, but they're trying to figure out how did they're blind looking at Jesus. How did this happen? Who, who is this guy that could do that? Because we saw this man. We saw this man running around the tombs and screaming and shrieking. We tried to chain him up. We and now he's, I mean, like instantaneous transformation. It says the people were afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. They're just like, we don't want you here, Jesus. Think about that for a second. He delivers this man from the harassment of m multiple demons, and they're sitting there saying, just get out of here, Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is totally messing with the status quo. It's weird. Sometimes we... I think my ear grew differently this morning or something. It's weird, but sometimes we'd rather have the status quo, even with the harassment of Satan than to have that flipped upside down and have freedom. Why, why is that? Why are, they, why are they wanting Jesus to leave? 
because he's showing a kind of power and authority that they don't know what to, it's threatening to them. Think about that for a second. When the disciples were up afraid in the boat and now these people are afraid because of what Jesus just did for this man. It's a threat. Jesus is a threat. He can change things. He can mess with my status quo now. I like my life how it is, Jesus. Glad you healed that man. Please leave the country and get out of here because don't mess with me. I like my pattern of life. It's incredible. What? Leave, Jesus. As Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for them, done for him. And everyone was amazed. So they go from terrified to amazed because they're trying to say, who is this man? Now, here's the application from this one. This is going to sound odd at first, but I'll explain it. Jesus can deliver you from the destructive confusion between your own thoughts and those imposed on you by demons. Weird meter, like, right? Because like I said, this, this man didn't go from zero to a hundred of demon, demonic harassment overnight. It was, could have been days, weeks, months, years of listening to the whispers of demonic spirits, believing things that weren't true. I mean, when you see people that walking downtown in big cities that are talking to themselves, and you can tell they're obviously kind of, something, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe mental illness, but maybe also some ways in which they started letting weird things into their head, voices in their head. And you might think, well, what voices am I? The Bible says Satan is a father of lies. The Bible says Satan is always trying to trip every single one of us up. And he knows how to mimic voices even in our heads. And you might say, this is kind of weird. This, the weird meter is now blowing off the scale. But think about it for a second. What are things you believe? What are things that maybe you hear and you believe about yourself? But yeah, you may not be d demonically harassed. And as far as I know, nobody's running around naked cutting themselves up. But aren't there times where you feel harassed? Wake up in the middle of the night and you just feel like, oh, I can't, sh I get, I'm, I'm, uh, all these thoughts in my head are, this is going to go south, that's going to fall apart too, and I can't believe my marriage isn't this way, and what's going to happen to my kids, and I really screwed that one up, I messed that one up. And all these defeating thoughts, or maybe they come during the day, maybe, you know, you you have a spat in your marriage, and you think, oh, my marriage is over. I'm, and you start, oh, my wife, she, she doesn't love me anymore. Or my husband doesn't love me anymore. Or, oh, my employer, oh, and God doesn't take care of me. All these things, and I get those happen in my head. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm crazy, but those kind of things happen in my head, and that's not my voice speaking, and it's not the Holy Spirit speaking. So that leaves one other option, that Satan knows how to harass me. He knows how to harass you. And there's times where we need the freedom and the power of Jesus to deliver us from the destructive confusion between what are my thoughts and what are the thoughts that are being imposed upon me, whispered in my ear by a demon. And you might say, well, that's like this little person on the shoulder. I don't know. But we do know that Satan is the father of lies. He wants to destroy you. He's scheming all the time, and he's really deceptive. So maybe the voice inside your head that's saying, hey, am I... My husband never has loved me. That may not be your voice. It's not the Holy Spirit. It may be something 
demonic and evil trying to open your mind up to things that aren't true. Or, yeah, I'm no good. I'm not worthy of love. Why would anybody love me? I really blank that one up. I just, I mess up everything I touch. And I'm, I mean, one of the voices in my head that I've heard for years is when I feel like something hasn't gone right, I, what I hear in my head is, that was stupid. And I'm thinking, okay, why am I saying, and I say that loud myself in the car sometimes. I'm thinking, okay, that's, I don't think I'm stupid. I don't think God thinks I'm stupid. Why am I, why am I saying that? What, what am I agreeing to? And if Jesus has the power to change a man who was naked, cutting himself wild, breaking chains, and can put him in his right mind, do you think he has the power to help you think clear, truthful thoughts and to not no longer hear or ingest the thoughts of the evil one who's trying to discourage you and destroy you and distort you and depress you? Don't you think Jesus has power for that? Of course he does. Of course he does. Remember, the, the Gospel of Mark was written to initially the, the church in Rome, Christians in Rome, who had been undergoing some kind of persecution. Things were kind of turbulent. Evil was rampant. So can you see how those original hearers in the church of Rome reading this account would be like, okay, our lives are turbulent, upside down, evil is having a free field day, but Jesus still has authority over everything. And I can trust this person. Because they're probably thinking, what, everything's flipping upside down, we don't know what to do, evil, boom. No, Jesus is still the king of the world. He's still the king. There's still going to be battles. The, the war isn't over yet. The war is won, but not over. There's still going to be things happen like that. So here Jesus, uh, go to the, Go to a slide a few times ago, Stephanie, that says it has the word terror in it. I can't remember what I, where I put that, but I'm just kind of shifting order in my head. I think it's like the second or third. Go back a few. There's one that says uh, uh, it's time for Christianity to become a place of terror again. Do you see that one on there? If you can, I can just, yeah, there it is. This is from a uh, book I've read years ago and I've been rereading lately. Uh, it's called Dangerous Wonder, and the author's a uh, great guy. It's time for Christianity to become a place of terror again, a place where God continually has to tell us, fear not. You notice whenever angels show up, he tells people, fear not, because there's some reason to be afraid. Like this power is going to threaten, you know, God, can, God threatens our status quo. A place where our relationship with God is not a simple belief or doctrine of theology, and the nice, non-threatening God needs to be replaced. Because Jesus isn't nice, he's kind. I mean, Jesus is not non-threatening. He threatens every being of your selfish self, every piece of that. That's why they're afraid. Because this guy, if he's going to, has that he can challenge me. He's going to mess with my status quo. But apart from that, though, he also has the power to bring deliverance and healing to my life. He has the power to give me peace rest and joy in the most turbulent financial times, relational times, health issues, whatever. Jesus is always there to give peace. He's always there to give deliverance. So and I'll finish with this quote. Go to the last slide that says, I'm ready for a Christianity 
Yeah, same book. I'm ready for a Christianity that ruins my life. Ruins meaning not, not ruins like makes me pitiful, but ruins like that breaks apart everything in me that's keeping me from being what I need to be. So in those sense, I need to be, I, parts of me need to be ruined so I can be set free. I'm ready for Christianity that ruins my life, that captures my heart, and makes me uncomfortable. Because this Jesus is incredibly, uh, creates all kinds of terrifying, uncomfortable feelings in his own followers. Um, so you open yourself up to that. If we open ourselves up to the Jesus of the Bible, you open yourself up for discomfort. One of the things we said at Exodus is our, our strategy is stretching beyond comfort. If you really invite that from Jesus, he will stretch you beyond comfort. No, is, is God looking for a way to hurt you and make you feel bad? No, he's not. He's looking for ways to grow you. And we often grow through challenge and pain and understanding that oh, he alone is the one who's going to give us the kind of power and transformation we need. So let me pray. guessing, uh, among others, there's two categories of people here today. There are some of you here this morning that would say, yeah, I'm, I'm totally, totally in the midst of turbulence, fierce storm, rocking ship with my money, with my work, with my relationships, with my health, whatever. I'm totally in the middle of all that, and I'm scared to death, and I'm not sure why Jesus isn't doing anything. That's it may be you, but there also may be some of us here, right? I know there are some of us here who say, I, I can't get these defeating, destructive, discouraging, distorting thoughts from going in and out of my mind all the time. I'm always thinking worst case scenario, worst case scenario. I really messed it up. That may be you right now. Or you just you need freedom from that. And if you're either one of those categories, and that kind of resonates with you, I'm going to ask you to stand up right now. Everybody keep your eyes closed. So we don't know which one you're standing up for, so we're not going to try to pigeonhole you, but if you, if either one, it's a turbulent life for you, or it's just uh, you're feeling harassed in your thoughts by Satan, just uh, you stand up. Jesus, we, we, we are Christians because we believe it's a supernatural reality. It's not a moral thing. It's not a behaviorist thing. It's not a political thing. We believe there is supernatural power in your through your Holy Spirit to bring peace to those of us who are feeling turbulent. Supernatural peace, like irrational peace, because we know you're present with us, but also to bring deliverance to those of us in those times when we feel harassed by discouraging, distorting, defeating thoughts that we know aren't you and they're not from us. So for these who have stood up this morning, God, they stand before you, not necessarily before one another, they're standing before you and they're acknowledging to you, uh, in a sense they're standing as waking you up and saying, do you see that I'm drowning? So for those who feel that 
drowning, turbulent anxiety, God, would you bring peace to them? Would you let them know that Jesus is with them, with them, like next to them, with them all the time? And for those who are standing because they feel harassed and defeating and distorting and discouraging thoughts seem to play in their minds like a stuck MP3 song that won't go away. God, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you, would you exorcise that demonic harassment? Would you fill that voice? Will you sternly muzzle the voice that's in their, that's, that's telling them things that are destroying them? And we know you do that, Jesus. And it's your power that does that. So would you change us and would you help us to trust you that you're the powerful, dangerous, wonderful, terrifying, full of kindness, full of love king that we desperately know you are and desperately need you to be. And through that, would you change us? Would you change Bloomington? Would you change the world like you did with your disciples who saw who you were in ways we've never quite understood, but we want to. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Um, we finish every Sunday with communion. and. Uh